This episode is brought to you by Rewind. Rewind offers e-commerce brands a solution that protects their stores against unexpected downtime. Rewind adds an undo button to your store, continually saving every change you make and backing up the critical data which runs your business. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable and durable outdoor furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water stain, fade, and mold resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 103 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee, and today I spoke with Lillian Umarunji Jung, the founder of Mumgri. Mumgri is a better for you nut butter brand currently offering three varieties a smooth peanut butter, a dark chocolate peanut butter, and the first ever pistachio chocolate almond butter, all made using no added sugar, palm oil, or additives, and no refrigeration needed. In this episode, Lillian shares her story from growing up as the youngest of five, moving from Uganda at just two years old, to becoming a child actor, attending film school, holding 16 jobs in just 10 years, and launching Mungri in October 2019, right before the pandemic. She talks with us about how she bootstrapped the business with her severance pay, how she collaborated with ice cream parlors, and how she avoided losing her retail accounts during the pandemic. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe to get updates on when we publish a new episode every Tuesday morning. You can follow us on Spotify or check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Until next time, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Lillian. I'm so excited to meet you and hear your awesome story in building Mumgri. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. I'm so excited. <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> and I love how you were just listening to one of our episodes. I guess it was the Malomo episode yes. with Yao. That's awesome. Thanks for, for being a fan and tuning into the show. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You. I, what I love most is just hearing from other founders and getting inspired by their stories. And, you know, you have a lot of aha moments within, you know, those listening periods where you're like, wait a minute, whoa, I had no idea. And, and you, you get excited about, you know, um, reaching out to them or connecting with them or just supporting their brands as well. So my hat goes off to you for just exposing us to, to so many amazing people that are doing great things. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I hope, you know, I was, I'm hoping that when people listen, they hear the struggles and they're like, Oh, I'm thank God. I'm not the only one, you know, <laughs> like they feel some sort of community that we're all in this together. That's what's happening. Cause I, I remember before starting my business, just sitting in my car, listening to pod, even now I still listen to, to podcasts that have, you know, founder stories because it, it's so important to recognize where you're at and where you could be and how that person got there. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Awesome. So about you, you're calling in from Vancouver. Are you from there originally? Yes. So I have lived in Vancouver pretty much most of my life. I lived in Toronto and LA for a period of time, Um, but Vancouver has been home base for many, many moons. Cool. So you're, you're kind of back home. Um, let's start when you were a kid, what kind of kid were you? What was it like growing up? I was a kid in a very large family. So I have, uh, four siblings. Both my parents are living with me. Uh, we came to Canada when I was two and a half years old. From where? Uganda. Wow. Uh, My family is Rwandese, but they had moved to Uganda. And then my mom had all of us, gave birth to all of us, and then moved to Canada. Uh, it was a really overnight, you know, quick overnight decision to, to move here to just, it's the immigrant story wanting our, you know, their children to have access to better education and, and uh, opportunities. So we moved here and we moved into a neighborhood in the downtown east side, which uh, is, you know, at the time, it was lower income housing that we were living in and uh, we grew up there and it was probably the happiest time in our lives, coincidentally, <laughs> or ironically, um, just because, you know, I think when you're a kid, you don't realize the struggles that your parents are going through, uh, you know, trying to make ends meet, trying to provide for all five of us. As kids, you're just running around the neighborhood, absorbing the music, the sounds, the culture, the people. And so... I always tell people that that was probably, if not the most memorable time of my life, just because you you were you were in a community and everyone acted like they were in a community. So the neighbors took care of us as much as you know we took care of their children, and so I got to enjoy food from different cultures, lots of Asian cuisine, lots of African cuisine. My neighbors that were right next door to us. Um, we're from El Salvador. And so I grew up eating pupusas almost every second day. <laughs> I honestly uh, don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, what is it? oh, I listen. LA has the best pupusas on the planet Earth. Oh my gosh. Where? Yes. Uh, downtown LA. I'm trying to remember the street. There's a spot there. I actually think it's called pupusas. Like a, it just uses the title for its, for its name, but they're basically, it's like a corn tortilla. And inside of it, you would have like beans and cheese, but it's just the way that which it's prepared is so special. And uh, there's a really nice sauce that comes with it. Wow. I'm getting really hungry and I'm probably going to Google this and try to go there this weekend. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but LA, like that, that's actually what made me want to stay in LA forever at one point, because you can't get pupusas like that here, uh, only in LA. So yeah, where'd the neighbor go? Are they still in Vancouver somewhere? You should just like, hey, can we have dinner sometime at your house? Oh, it's so crazy because they actually, so as the Linares family, I'll call them out because I love them to death to this day. They're the best, but they, my best friend, Carla, she actually moved to the same apartment as me 
like years later and we had no idea. And then we just ran into each other and we're like, whoa, what's happening? <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're still here and, and I'm sure their mom is making the most amazing food still. <laughs> so with four siblings, were you on the younger side, older side? Yes, I am the baby of the family. Um, I definitely get lectured on how spoiled I was compared to them, how much I didn't have to endure as much <laughs> when it came to disciplining. Um, I, I was, you know, with my siblings, we just really admired our parents for just their, you know, willingness to kind of overcome every obstacle that came their way. My, my mom is the hardest person, hardest working person I've ever known to this day. Our family spent a lot of time together and just moving together as a unit. Um, so it's, it's one of these things where like, when I'm alone now as an adult, I don't even really know how to be because I think I was so conditioned to being around like a lot of people at home. Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So lots of like weekend, you know, gatherings and get togethers with tons of food and lots of, you know, interacting with, with people around the neighborhood and just spending a lot of time outside. Like it's amazing to like realize how much time my son spends outside compared to how much I spent. Yeah. I'm nervous about that. Cause I was like climbing trees and, you know, roller skating outside and bike riding outside too, and just venturing around. And I look at my son and I'm like, Oh man, I hope you're not locked indoors forever. You know, <laughs> I always joke about how the, the uh, band-aid brand, like, I wonder sometimes what their sales are compared to like when we were growing up, like the sales of bandages. Cause I remember like getting cuts and bruises and just fall oh, bandages. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And just, you know, being a part of, of, of just that adventurous, uh, style of living. And I wonder sometimes like, are they still getting as many sales over there? Because he doesn't get injured that often. Like it's, it's far and few. Yeah. And so when you were a kid, were, were you looking back, were you entrepreneurial? Did you know, like what kind of things did you do back in those days or what did you want to be when you grew up? So back in the day, my mom was actually approached while we were on the bus one day, we were approached from an agency uh, to go into acting of all things. <laughs> and so I just remember going to auditions a lot, you know, getting a couple gigs here and there. And I did that for a really long time until my parents were like, okay, you got to focus on school. I'm not going to be, we're not going to be pulling you out of school in order to go to these auditions. Um, because, you know, I wasn't landing every single one. I was definitely not, you know, really Huxable or anything. I was just getting every. It's like impossible to book every single one though. I mean, that's kind of like part of the business. And I think that's actually like helps you deal with a lot of rejection. Like I think people that are in that industry, it's got its advantages of some sort. You're completely right about that. I think that it really gave me almost a thick skin at an early age. I mean, like it, it allowed me to kind of deal with that rejection a lot faster and process it quicker. Um, so by the time, you know, when I was going through elementary, I was, I became almost obsessed with this idea of going back to acting because I just remember when I did land and when we did get those checks, it made everybody happy. <laughs> so I was I, was, I feel like that industry is like a drug, you know, because you get addicted. You literally can get addicted to it because it's a high that you feel 
like serotonin is definitely released when you book a gig and you're like, oh my God, this is going to be so fun and cool. And it's a great paying thing. And then you're like, don't book another thing for months and you're starving. And you're like, am I ever going to book anything ever again? And then you book something you're like, yeah, I hit another hit. You know, it's really like, I think not healthy on people's mindset. It's not, it's not. So I think my parents were, you know, right in wanting to make sure that I didn't live in that world through my teens. And then when I, you know, graduated, it became, it, you know, it was still on top of mind. How do I get back into the entertainment industry? Where, where do I go with that? But when I was a kid, I was actually really interested in business, but it never was something that I was exposed to through anyone in my life. So there wasn't like an uncle that had their own business. Everyone always worked for someone. So what I was almost programmed to believe was get the good job, get the, you know, get the benefit, make sure that you are able to take care of your own and all this stuff. And so I was always so focused on getting a job at a really important company. That was pretty much my goal as a, as a youngster, even though I didn't really know which company I wanted to specifically work for. I just knew that once I was able to figure out what those companies were, I was going to get that job. When I graduated, I actually went into, I went to college for marketing and business. Like I was, I was actually still interested in it. And so I did it for a while, but then acting was still knocking on my shoulders and or, or knocking on my door. And I still wanted to explore that. So I, um, I went back into that world and went to film school. Okay. Where did you go to film school? Uh, I went to film school at a university or a college university here called Langara. So I went there and that's where I really learned that I wasn't interested in acting necessarily. I was interested in the business, like just the business side. And it wasn't even the entertainment business. It was just to have control of what I was doing and just be able to orchestrate, you know, what I wanted to do, who was going to be a part of it and what the outcome would be. I just, I was attracted to business. So I ended up, I actually went to a few auditions, you know, cried my eyes out, lost, you know, didn't get the gigs and stuff and hated the rooms I was in, hated the people in them. And then by that time I was like, okay, you know what? I think I need to shift back to, to business. But again, because I didn't go to, or I didn't finish business school, I ended up thinking, okay, well, I just need to get experiences within businesses. So then I went and got 16 different jobs over the span of like 10 years. I kid you not. I've worked in 16 different industries, hospitality, travel, accounting, like. So all in 10 years. So you had 16 jobs in 10 years, you're saying, and these are full-time jobs. Full-time jobs. Uh, went up the ladders in each of them, like every single one. I actually, I always, it's so funny because we, <laughs> I, I have this ongoing joke with one of my brothers where he's like, you're like the Mayweather of indeed.com, like of like careers, because I've only never landed one job. What? So you apply for a job and you get it every time? It was like all that acting skill. I took it into the workplace and I got every single job except for one job. And the one job that I didn't get was when I decided that I wanted to do Mungry. So when I, when I, when I was really like years, like I'm talking like, was it like 16 years later? I, when I decided to do Mungry after having a kid, after, you know, 
losing my job because of you know the company I was working at. They decided to close their Vancouver office and focus on their base office, which was in Japan. I became really obsessed with the idea of going forward with Mungri and just seeing what happens because I knew that it was going to be an upward climb to get back into the workforce after having a kid because there's so many different things that I was experiencing. Like I would go to a, a job interview and they would ask about my availability. And as much as I was like, I'm full time, I really didn't know as a new mom if I was going to be able to be all the way full time because, you know, childcare wasn't something that was secured. Um, so I thought to myself, this is the time. There's no better time than now than to do this thing that I'm most passionate about and just see if it works, see if I land it. So before we kind of go to that, because I can't wait to hear even how you came up with the idea with these 16 jobs, can you kind of walk through what some of them were? So we kind of get a sense for your background and experience, your work experience. So when I was doing acting, when I wasn't going to auditions, I actually did background, you know, performing as well. Like I would go and work on set and I did that for many, many years. So background, like a backup dancer or like, what does that mean? Uh, like extra work, like, Oh, extra, set. like an extra in a film. Like an extra in a film. Got it. Yeah. So I got to meet all the movie stars. You name them. I've met, like, I've seen them or at least have had some sort of contact with them, which was interesting. It was a, it was a very community-based job. Got to meet a ton of people every single day. It was a lot of waiting around too. A lot of waiting around. So a lot of reading, a lot of like, actual you know research prior to the internet world really blowing up I'm aging myself I'm not that old <laughs> but but it was just like a lot of opportunity to like learn people and like understand what people wanted and stuff because you meet all walks of life on set um, so I did that and then I worked at a guest retail store you know doing full-blown retail was the top seller in all of Canada got rewarded for that just on a kind of company level and then worked at actually the most entrepreneurial thing that I did in the early days was I used to do I was like a nightclub promoter for two I had two different nights um, going at the same time so I would have I had a Sunday night (laughs) uh, called Encore and I ran that and it was incredible definitely took care of getting that nightclub young youthful energy out of me I would recommend it to anyone because you don't want to hang on to that (laughs) too long like you want to do it and then be done and then be like I'm not going to the club anymore oh it's shocking how many guys like stick on to that though I mean I guess I understand it from the guy's perspective you know because it's like girls and booze and like everything (laughs) they could dream of hanging out with models you actually just brought something up it was a guy's world I I was competing against other promoters who were all men, right? It was just me and I was out there and I would do comedy nights as well. Like I would promote comedy nights uh, in addition to that. So that was definitely more still in the entertainment world. And then I worked for a security company, uh, which was a fascinating job. What did you do there? So there I was a dispatch manager. So I would work nights all by myself in a massive office, sitting, answering, uh, calling, sorry, calling security guards to check that they weren't sleeping. 
Do you have like security for the security to make sure that there are? Yes. To make sure that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I would, I would go to school. So I would go to Langara and then I would come uh, home and I would sleep for a couple hours and then I would go work this night shift and then get up, go to school. Like it was, ma- it was I don't know how I did. I drank a lot of coffee and tea back then and green tea specifically because of the caffeine content. And then I would just, I was like a cycle every single day. Wow. All day, all night. All day, all night. Then I got promoted from that position to a daytime role at the security company to be an accounting assistant, um, which taught me a lot about, you know, numbers and just being able to reconcile things and and that whole world of, of accounting, um, which I'm still trying to master to this day. (laughs) And then I uh, went on to working at a, trying to remember chronological order here. Um, then I actually went and got a film, a film office position. So it was for a film company working as an office manager, got promoted to a business affairs, uh, assistant, and then got promoted to a business affairs partner. Um, so got to work on the film, the Hurt Locker, which won a quadrillion Oscars, uh, of them, I believe. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then that company shut down, moved to Toronto, and then went into the nonprofit world, uh, working for the Stephen Lewis Foundation, which was an incredible experience. Um, so really shifting over from entertainment to like, you know, working with a company or working with an organization that provides uh, relief and support to people living with HIV AIDS uh, throughout wow. Sahara Africa. So. So yeah, that was, that was an amazing experience working there and then moved back to Vancouver uh, temporarily, then moved to LA. And then in LA, I was an assistant's assistant um, interning for Common, which was... What's Common? So Common is an artist, activist, actor, I guess now he, he won the Oscar for... Uh, Selma, the movie Selma. He did the score with John Legend, I believe. Um, so he is just like a really well-known hip-hop artist slash actor now. And he uh, was actually living in Canada shooting on a show in Alberta when I was interning for him. So I never actually got the chance to meet him. I was interning with his assistant in LA, just making sure he had everything he needed in Canada. So it was like a bizarre. Wow. You've had some crazy weird jobs, like lots of different, so many different things. And they're all kind of random. I'm like, how did you move from this to that and hop around? I feel like, yeah, this, I don't know. It's hilarious. Then I worked in in a hotel, um, did night shift there and then did concierge work there and then worked for a travel agency for, a year and a half uh, or two, almost two years. I can go on and on and on. So then how did you come up with the idea for Mumgree? What was your aha moment? For about three to four years prior to starting Mumgree, I was working in HR a lot for different companies. And the company that I was working for at the time uh, was called Capcom. Uh, So when I was pregnant, I was working at Capcom which is a gaming company, uh, really big, known for Street Fighter and all the classic games. They had an office that was directly across the street from uh, a Whole Foods. And so I would go over to the grocery store pretty much 
every lunch break, every break I got. And I would just waddle over and look for snacks. Waddle and- over. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it reached a point where I was like, oh gosh, do I really need, like, can I really make You're it? at the stage of waddling in the pregnancy yes. zone. Yeah. So I would go over and I would uh, look for snacks. And every single time that I would go, I just kind of grew a little bit more and more frustrated because I, you know, wanted to be able to eat everything, but I also wanted to be able to know what was going to be good for me and what was going to be bad for me. And I found myself, you know, in the aisle kind of Googling on my phone, what ingredients were and stuff and whether or not, you know, it had only the good stuff. And, and so I ended up one day coming home and I, my husband came to me and he's like, what do you want to eat? And he had no idea how frustrated I was that day. It was like a typical rainy Vancouver day. And he's like, what do you want to eat? And I just like snapped on him. Like I exploded. And I was like, I don't know what I want to eat. All I know is that I'm hungry. And he started laughing. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, what are you saying? And I'm like, like, crazy pregnant lady is having a freak out. Yeah. He didn't know what to do. He's like, where are the tools? Like, what do I say? What's the language? And he thought it was funny. He's like, what? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm hungry. I was like, I want to eat but I don't want to have, how did you just say the word mumgree? Like what, what made you say that word? It was honestly the only word that it was the only feeling or the word that can describe the feeling I had because prior to getting pregnant, all I kept hearing about was, Oh, you're going to love it. Eating for two. Like, it's so great. Like it's so fun being able to just eat, eat, eat and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then you get into it and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm responsible for a growing human. Like I've got to actually be a little bit mindful so that yeah, I, you gotta be healthy. Yeah, you gotta be healthy. And so I um so I snapped at him and he thought it was funny and he was like, Hey, you should trademark it. He's like, You should, you know, like that's a funny word, right? And I was like, Yeah, okay, whatever, like it's off. Like I was kind of mean to him. And he uh and uh and he's like, Well, why do you like why do you feel mumgry or whatever? And I was like, Because you go to these grocery stores and you never know what's good or bad for you. And I want to be able to eat with you too, but I can't necessarily, you know, eat everything with you because there's certain things that you're eating that I can't eat. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, so you just, you want snacks that are good for all of us. And I was like, yeah. So it's not just hungry that you're trying to express. You're actually angry. Yes. It's all of it. It's a feeling. I actually angry have no like- and hungry. Okay. So it's, it's a lot of things. And um, like my husband gets mumgry now. Like I can't be near him if he, if he Isn't has. It, so it's like hangry though. That's like what people say when they're hangry, right? It's like, oh yeah, she's hangry. Cause. But it's also, it's also mumgry. Cause it's like, to, like, it's like you want something that's like delicious, nutritious and a little bit luxurious all at the same time. That's like my latest definition for it. Like you just want to be able to have something that's made with only the good stuff, which became our tagline. Um, because we, want to remove the guesswork from snacking. We don't want, you know, someone who's pregnant or someone who's looking after a pregnant person or someone who is showing up to someone's house to have a snack, to have to worry about what they're about to indulge. I like that you said latest definition (laughs) because it's it's evolving. (laughs) It's an evolving feeling. Yeah. So, you know, you have these incredible butters and spreads, but I'm wondering when you're in the aisles of Whole Foods or at other grocery stores, what was so frustrating about the other, you know, peanut butters or spreads that you were seeing? Like, what are some ingredients that 
the listeners tuning in should kind of really keep an eye out for that are not great for us to be consuming? I think for, for me at the time, I was really trying to avoid palm oil. I was really trying to avoid preservatives and additives that were, you know, one thing I learned about peanut butter, because truthfully, and this goes back to my childhood, as I told you, I grew up eating pupusa, so I wasn't even eating peanut butter. I actually ran away from day, like from the, the day camp or whatever thing I used to go to after school, I used to run away when they would serve ants on the log, which is peanut butter on celery sticks with raisins on top. And I used to hate that. Like I used to think it was disgusting. And the reason why I thought it was disgusting was because it wasn't real peanut butter that I was eating. I experienced real peanut butter when my mom would make spinach peanut sauce because she would take real peanuts and grind them up and then add them to spinach. And she would add in like, you know, coconut milk and make it just really delicious. Right. So I think when I was introduced to peanut butter, it was peanut butter that was packed with so much more than just peanuts and made to last until the apocalypse. Like it was made to sit in a, you know, in a bunker and be ready for the end of the world. (laughs) And so when I would go down these grocery aisles, I found that a lot of the peanut butters had so much stuff added to them. And if it was chocolate, it was milk chocolate. And I was really trying to avoid milk. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, consume milk. I'm lactose intolerant. Um, So I will literally have an episode if I have milk. Um, So I was trying to avoid milk. I was trying to avoid um, those additives. There's certain additives that I'm actually allergic to. Like I'll have a whole hitch, uh, hitch, hitch experience and like break out. Um, so for me, it was like, how do we have an, a nut butter that just gives you the nuts in a smoother form? Like how do we just take away everything and bring back the smell of the peanuts into the jar. And so we really mastered that by realizing that it was important to roast the nuts. Um, A lot of places buy roasted nuts. So you don't know when it was roasted. It could have been roasted 50 years ago, 20 years ago. We roast it fresh with every batch that goes out. So whenever I'm asked about sort of the differences between our nut butter and other brands, which I can't not because everyone has their, you know, reasonings for producing it a certain way. But for us, we found it really important to make it so that when you open the jar, there's minimal amount of, of separation with the natural oil from the peanuts. And that when you open it up, you can smell the peanuts inside the jar (laughs) and you can feel the textures. And so another thing is like, we don't use massive machines that will like, we don't, we don't try to add water or anything that will make it a a sort of unrealistic smooth. And so our smooth peanut butter is what you would actually get if you spend hours with your Vitamix (laughs) trying to, to achieve a, a texture that is smooth. Right. It's like smooth with texture. So it's not like crunchy peanut butter. It's like this hybrid. It's not crunchy. It's not completely smooth, but it's like smooth textured peanut butter. And you're right. I I really like that. There's not a lot of separation because I've had like organic great, like whatever natural peanut butter. And it's like 
thick layer of this liquid that you have to like, anytime you want something, you just have to stir up this, like, and it's hard because you have to put it in the refrigerator, which is like, I never look for my peanut butter in the refrigerator. So then I forget it's there and it goes bad. So I love that yours, you do not have to put in the refrigerator because I don't think butters, peanut butters belong in the refrigerator. They do not. They actually, that was actually part of our thinking when we were doing our packaging was like, okay, we need to make this pretty because people need to understand that this isn't going in the fridge. It sits on your countertop, right? We want people to be able to look at it, be reminded of it. We want the colors to make them smile. We want them to feel good every time that they see it and to be attracted by it and be willing to like open it up, grab a spoon and just take a spoonful, get that hit of, you know, four grams of protein with every bite and, and continue their day. And so that's, that came from the mother experience I was having or having at the time. But now as someone who, you know, is working all the time, I'm, I reach for it. As soon as I feel like my energy is starting to drop, I'm like, okay, and I'll rotate between all the flavors. Yeah, no, I can't do like a spoonful of stuff like that. Like anything that's too overwhelming in a spoonful. My husband can literally eat Nutella by the spoonful. I can't, it makes me want to throw up, but I can't, I can't eat it by the spoonful. <laughs> what I do like is putting the butters on like an organic brown rice cake. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys know what Sprouts is, but they make these organic brown rice cakes and putting your butters on them have been awesome. I've been, I really love the smooth peanut butter one. My mother-in-law has been just like taking down the pistachio chocolate almond butter. Like I don't, <laughs> I tried it once and she's just like taken over. It's hers now. She loves it. Um, and then the chocolate peanut butter spread had that today and it's so good. So you can't go wrong with any of the flavors you have. And the texture is really good. And again, I'm so glad that I don't have to put it in the refrigerator because then I forget it's there. And then I go in the snack cabinet and I'm like, where are the snacks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The snack cabinet. I think the worst thing about going grocery shopping is when you open up your grocery bag and you feel like you have to make everything that's in there. Right. And, and I think that that was something we wanted to eliminate. It's like we wanted people to have the experience where when they come home, they can take the jar, they can put it on their counter, you know, with your experience, they can grab the organic, you know, rice cakes or, or the crackers and they can take that, spread it on and be fulfilled until dinner time. You know, like they can, they can have that, that intermission with something healthy instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, there's nothing to eat. And I just came back. I spent hundreds of dollars. Like what is happening? Well, and with like everybody working on zoom all the time. And like, I feel like the culture of working at home is just like not as flexible as people had hoped. And you're just on your screen all day long. So by the time you have a, a two second break before your next meeting, you go downstairs and you're like, I don't have time to make anything. <laughs> what can I eat? Oh, okay. I have two seconds to put some peanut butter on a rice cake and call it a day. You're right. And go back upstairs. But you know, you mentioned spinach, something your mom makes with spinach and peanuts. I think that should be your next flavor. Oh, I, I mean, listen, she's, she's the greatest inspiration for me. Like I, I think one thing that was key for us is when we, when we created the peanut butter, we wanted to make sure that there wasn't any salt or sugar in it because I was thinking about her peanut sauce. Like I wanted that option to make a savory dish and control the salt or make that, you know, baked good and control the sugar. Because I, I just feel like 
we should have these essentials in our pantry that allow us to create things that are reminiscent of a dish from our mom or a dish from our parents growing up or our aunts or uncles or whomever. And so for me, like that, that spinach dip sauce, um, when we did our launch on October of 2019, my sister actually made that dish. She flew in to Vancouver um, from Alberta. She made the dish and we had it available at our launch party so that people can enjoy it. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Have you ever experienced lost sales due to downtime caused by a corrupt CSV, malicious attack, or rogue third-party app? Even if it hasn't happened yet, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. That's why brands like Pier 1 Import, Lord & Taylor, Hasbro, and Staples use Rewind to keep their store protected. Rewind gives you peace of mind, protects your data, and saves you time and money by easily restoring your data, automatically backing up and keeping a record of every change you make. Get a 30-day free trial with Rewind today by going to rewind.io slash stairway to CEO. That's R-E-W-I-N-D dot I-O slash stairway to CEO. Spring is in the air, which means summer will be here in no time. But is your patio or backyard ready for action? With Outer, you can get your outdoor space decked out with the best looking sustainable sofas, chairs, coffee tables, eco-friendly rugs, and don't forget their celebrity favorite, bug shield blanket to keep those mosquitoes away. Want to check it out for yourself? Browse over a thousand outer customers backyards online and visit a neighborhood showroom in your own neighborhood to experience outer products in person before you decide to buy. And when you decide to buy, you can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code stairway200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture purchases with the promo code stairway200 on liveouter.com. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. And so you launched the company in 2018? Um, so 2018 is when everything started brewing. And then 2019, October 5th was when we did our, our first launch. So we were going to marketplaces and kind of testing out our product with the people, which is my highest recommendation for anyone starting a small business. Connect your product with the people beyond your family and friends, because that's where you'll really get the most honest and true feedback. Yeah. And what was some of that early feedback that you got? I'm sure there's good and bad. So what was some of the bad? Um, so some of the bad. Okay. So some of the bad was what about 
the people who don't eat peanuts or who are allergic to peanuts, what are we going to do? Because I, I like, we had so many people who were like, I eat almonds, but I don't eat peanuts. Like there's this war out there between peanuts and almonds, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's this like, and, and there's also this perception that almonds are more decadent and floral and just lesser fat, which is not true. Um, but there's all these like facts about that are pitted against each other with the almond lovers and the peanut lovers. And so hearing that over and over at the markets, like what about the people who don't eat peanuts, but still eat nuts? Um, what are you going to do for us? And you felt, you know, we felt this responsibility, like, Oh, okay. Like, and then you have the macadamia nut people coming in and be like, what about us? <laughs> it's, honestly, it is a whole nutty world out there. Like people, <laughs> a bunch of nutty people asking for some nuts. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. And you feel like, okay, what are we going to do? And so it actually came to me in a dream one day when I was like figuring out what are we going to do? Cause we didn't want to come up with an almond butter. Truthfully, there are so many amazing, great almond butters out there. The almond butter uh, world began quite, I, th I think it began earlier, but good almond butter, I think was always something that was being produced by many brands. And so we didn't necessarily want to just come out and do the same thing as everyone else. Whereas in the peanut butter world, we felt like there was so much room for improvement. And so in the almond butter world, it was important to us to just present it in a new, fresh way. And so I was like, my mind was just spinning with different ideas of how do we present the almond butter in a new way. And because I kept hearing almond butters are so prestigious or so much better, I started to really think about like luxurious nuts and pistachios came to mind because pistachios are considered the, you know, the, the most opulent, like just yeah. awesome. So the, it's like the king nut. It's a king. And so, uh, so or queen, queen, queen nut. Yeah. Well, the fun fact, the queen actually, I think it was, there's, there's a couple Queens, uh, that hailed pistachios, their favorite. And they, so they would grow pistachios around their, their fields and stuff. So we, we actually, so one day I was like, okay, well, what if you took pistachios and you took almonds and you married them? And then you added the one thing that everyone on the planet loves, which is chocolate brought them all together and so we created the first ever pistachio chocolate almond butter and it was really exciting because every single tasting was for the first time for everyone like there was like everyone who tried it was like I've never tried such a thing before what is this gonna yeah. do yeah <laughs> you go into like walnut and pecan chocolate butter like do you think you're gonna go into just start marrying a bunch of nuts and, and add some chocolate and just see what happens we we played around. We have a couple of things up our sleeves. We, we definitely know the combinations that work now. That's something we've been working really hard on the past couple of years. So we might, you know, you never know how these things go. <laughs> oh my God, my mind is spinning with like combos. I'm like, this is huge. This is so exciting. You're going to have all these like never eaten before nut butters yeah. with chocolate. Maybe yeah. some vanilla, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe you never know. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. But That's yeah, cool. it's been it's been fun to to hear that type of feedback because it inspires the next idea, right? So that was Yeah, um, I'm inspired. Yeah. I feel like I should join your creative team. Can I? And <laughs> if you have a flavor, I feel like you have like four just sitting in your mind. I know, right? I do. I do. My mind is literally spinning. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Okay. <laughs> so those were that was kind of like the 
you know, I would say the, the tough feedback, I guess, that we got, but it wasn't that tough. It was more kind than anything. And then the good feedback we got was, it was more people like me who didn't necessarily love peanut butter and didn't know that they just needed to have it in a different way. So there was a lot of like, I don't know if it's an aha moment, but there was just a lot of discovery that came through from the customers where they were like, oh, I didn't know that you can do that. Like, I didn't know you can have peanut butter presented this way. And I had no idea that, you know, it didn't need to go in the fridge. And I had no idea that you didn't need to put it in a blender. And I had no idea that you didn't need to, you know, just so many different myths were squashed through meeting customers. And so I think that um, it's so important, especially in today's world where it's a little bit more difficult, but it's so important to do live tastings and to be with human yeah. beings. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. a lot of taste buds in there and see what happens, get some feedback. And so, so you've, uh, so I guess it's been more like two and a half years since launch. What are some of the things that you've learned and what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome? One of the biggest challenges was at the very beginning, because if you think about the timeline of when we started, it was right before the pandemic. And it was a time where we were just getting our, you know, you know, we were getting our footing. We were starting to really believe in our brand. And then when March 11th hit and the announcement was made, our hearts just sunk because we were only in five retailers and they were, you know, really small businesses that believed in us and gave us real estate on their shelves. And so we felt really privileged and honored to be on their shelves, but we also felt like there wasn't much hope that we would stay there for that long because all of a sudden toilet paper became the highest commodity in the world. And it the highest sort of, you know, necessary, home home uh, essentials. So we got quite terrified because we invested all of my severance money into the business. And um, we felt like we're getting good feedback. We're, we're gaining this, you know, we're doing great at these markets, but now there's no more markets, right? We didn't have, we didn't necessarily have a incredible website at the time. It was very bare bones, uh, designed by me. And it just was not what we expected for it to be in many years to come. But at that time, as you saw for many brands, the importance of having D2C and just being able to like have that accessibility of home delivery was so high. And so we had to build all of that almost. It felt like overnight we had to like get our website going you know, start knocking on people's doors and delivering to them. Like we, that was one of the things was just pivoting and saying goodbye to cash and saying hello to all credit card transactions and learning that world, right? Um, really important for us. And then we offered free delivery to people. So we were driving around the city, dropping off Mungri at the doors and people loved that because they had never experienced peanut butter <laughs> arriving at their door. It was like pizza and then you peanut know, butter. Me neither. And it was delivered via what GoPuff or something. Yes. And I yeah. was like, whoa, this is the first time that I experienced GoPuff. Obviously I've done like Uber Eats and stuff, but this was like, you know, I don't know, like a grocery item being delivered I mean, you can do it Instacart and stuff, right? But this was like one item, one very specific, like, you know, brand, one item just delivered straight to my door. It was like very interesting experience. 
Yeah. GoPuff has changed our lives for the better in many different ways. I just, I think that they are the most innovative forward thinking online retailer on the planet earth. Like truly wow. like, I think that they, um, That's a really good endorsement. I'm sure they're going to love you for that. <laughs> oh, they know it. I, I praise them all the time. I think that they're just, they're, they're doing things that no other online retailer has ever done before. And they're doing, they're taking risks and, and kind of just inspiring brands to like step it up and, and, you know, be a part of some pretty impactful movements that they have going on as well. So yeah, I definitely sing their praise as much as I can. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think they should sponsor the show. But anyways, that's a whole nother topic. We'll get <laughs> to later. So you launched in those five retailers and then the pandemic hit. And did the fears come true or what happened? Yeah. So the fears set in quite intensely. And we then started to explore this internet world. Right. But did they drop you guys from the stores? So they didn't drop us, but the reason why they didn't drop us, which is a huge nugget, is because we shouted their names from the rooftop every single day. What, so on social media? On social media, in real life, everywhere. We took it upon ourselves to hold their doors open as long as we could. And we actually ended up doing a... So crazy... I, I'm trying to remember the timeline of when this happened. It was probably closer to the summertime, but we were approached by Visa, the credit card company. Uh, I think they're the only Visa in the world, <laughs> uh, but we were approached by Visa and uh, because uh, Dan Levy, the actor, writer, producer, amazing human being, Canadian born, um, he had requested for Mungri to be featured in a commercial he was doing with Visa because he wanted to call it his, it is his favorite nut butter. But how did he find out about you guys? No idea. Stop. Like, like they're, they're like, we have an idea because there's like, if you start to connect the dots and people that were in our lives at the time, like it, you can kind of see where he would be introduced to it, but it was definitely in a, a tremendous, beautiful kind of yeah. surprise for us. And it, it made us. So he's on set for a visa commercial and he's like, yeah. I need to have Mungri. Yes. peanut butter. Yeah. So he was, so the small business move, movement was just starting to brew and, and he was looking to endorse and support a small business. And so he called for our brand. And so we were in this visa commercial with Dan Levy and it was all done remotely. So we, we didn't meet him in person, unfortunately, but um, we're in the commercial with him. And so that kind of gave us I guess, confidence in what we perceived as our duty, just knowing that, okay, if we continue to ride for the people that are riding for us, good things will happen. Good things will come. There's no way that people will just forget about us overnight. So we really became focused on small businesses and just putting our product in as many small businesses as possible. And what we ended up doing was we went back to Visa and we pitched to them doing a show called the Mungry Shop Tour where we went back to those five retailers and toured their spaces and spoke with the owners and got to know them because at the time, everyone was locked indoors. But we wanted people to know where they can go when they decide to go for that walk or when they decide to pick up that coffee. And so we, we profiled these small businesses with the support of Visa 
and it was beautiful. It just became this like, it was, a, I, I think the show should continue. We did five episodes and, and now I'm like, okay, well, we can keep going because there's a lot more small businesses now. <laughs> um, so you were on this TV show? Yeah. So it's a, it was in YouTube and they, they put it through their channels as well, but it's, it's on our YouTube now and um, it's called the Mumgree Shop Tour. And uh, we, it was fun. We got to kind of show our relationship with all of these different retailers that really had our back from, from the beginning. Nice. Yeah. That's really cool. Wow. So this is what I find so fascinating. I think about brands, you build, so you create something, you follow your gut, you follow your heart, you, you put your heart and soul into something. And then somehow somewhere along the, the way, someone else recognizes that supports it and things just start rolling. It's just fascinating. I, I think that the biggest thing that I learned during that period was consistency and just having, it's so interesting because when I look at like 2020 and the things that were happening at that period of time, like I remember specifically like Kobe had passed away and I was actually Kobe Bryant. And I remember I was actually in LA in that February of 2020. And um, I had like my last fun weekend before the pandemic really got serious in March. And when I was down there, I, you know, was seeing all the, you know, all the tributes and, and uh, you know, went to the Staples Center, went to a game, saw just people really mourning and grieving and, and celebrating his life. And one of the things that I kept seeing over and over and over again was having that mamba mamba mentality which he defines as just you know being your own you know being your own opponent being your own sort of cheerleader getting into a zone where nothing can stop you at all and so it was like i would say that the biggest miracle of this brand has just been the timing of things coming into our business and so for me at that time it was you know, the whispers of the pandemic were coming up, but because I was also being so inspired and motivated by this philanthropist slash basketball giant, it, it happened at a time where it was like, I couldn't ignore that inspiration and just that motivation to like, go, 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 don't stop now. Like, you know that you're doing something good. So just don't give up. Right. And, and I think that we like to tell people don't give up, but I also always want to say that you have to just be consistent. If you say you want to do something, reach the finish line every single time. Don't stop halfway through because it's at the end, even if things go bad when you're doing something. So like, say you say to yourself, I'm going to start a nut butter brand. And, you know, turns out you can't get rid of that oil. turns out it's not good. turns out, you know, you're not going to find the, the right equipment and turns out it's saturated or whatever, all the doubt that enters your mind when you're starting a business, you have to list out what those, you have to actually experience those doubts because that's when you figure out whether or not they're true or not. And that's when you can actually pivot and make changes and get the right support and get the right equipment and get the right people around you. So like, I always say like, um, do to fail and then, and then fail to succeed right? So that you can actually go through the full experience of growth. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Because I think what you're trying to say too, is that there, we have a lot of negative assumptions in our head. 
and their assumptions. They're not always facts. And so if we have all these doubts that are in our head that we think are real, like, oh, this, this space is crowded and this and that, I mean, there's so many things you can stack against an idea and kill it before you even get it off the ground. But if, like you said, if you don't actually take the actions to test it out and see if those or do enough research or whatnot to see if those things are actually valid, they're really just negative assumptions in your head. Yeah. And it's okay to like, like, I love failing nowadays. Like I actually, I've embraced in a different way, like, because now it's, it's more entertaining for me almost to like challenge myself to work around certain things. We talk a lot about investors and like being able to like, you know, get the funding and stuff for our business so that we can grow it at an exponential rate and just do the things that we want to do. And so that's been like a challenging thing for us to acquire is just, you know, getting that funding and getting that interest from people. But one thing I've learned is that you have to kind of release the pressure and just approach it differently every single time. And, and I realized that what's important for us is being able to figure out how to gain that access to certain people and then holding that door open for others to walk through, getting people to actually pay attention and listen and understand the benefits of nuts and all these things. But, and so I learned from that, but when it comes to like, this part of the business, I feel like I don't really have an experience or person or mentor to really hold those doors open for me. So right now I'm in this place where as much as I'm trying to get the funding for us, because everything has been self-funded up until this point, I want to be able to create that financial literacy and just being able to figure out how to hold the door open for, for others that are looking for the same thing. Yeah. And I'm really, I wonder, you know, how many investors actually come knocking. I feel like so many funds just get so overwhelmed and so much in like just inbound, um, whether it's from their network or from, I don't know, you know, fund founders, like hunting them down. Like, I wonder how many, no matter how successful business is, I wonder what the true kind of efforts are of funds to approach companies. Fundraising is so hard. It's so hard because it's it's such a long cycle of getting to know someone from day one and building and nurturing that relationship to the point where they feel there's enough trust or they know you well enough or the business well enough. And they've seen that growth kind of during that time span together that they're willing to then write the check and move forward. And I think that that's base of time, which is three to six months most of the time to build a, a relationship, I think is underestimated by a lot of founders when they go out to raise thinking that, and I was, I thought this too, when you go out and you ask for a checker, you're like, you know, you want a meeting and you do the pitch. You're like, Oh, it's a yes. Right. We're ready to roll. Like, And they're like, um, no, actually we're going to talk again and again, and maybe again, and then we're going to have a meeting about it internally. And then we're going to keep sending us your updates. We we've done that. And, and I, and I just, I feel like, yeah, I, I I'm hopeful that's one thing that you kind of learn when you get into this world is like, you can't really just be down all the time and, and think that the world is going to end and everyone's against you. Like that's, that's a very hard mentality to maintain. It's also toxic. And so a lot of the time, you know, it's actually entertaining for me because a lot of people think that we have 
like crowdfund. Like a lot of people think that we are being backed by someone. And so that that's also something that we have to <laughs> figure out how to. Because they think you have more money maybe that or resources than you do. And yeah, you know, wait a minute. And because <laughs> we're doing up. we're doing interesting things with our brand, but they have no idea like this is shoestring budget more than half the time. So, you know, when we're when we're doing our our food for thought series, we're working with a doctor, a professor at Concordia University uh, named Dr. MJ, but she's also my cousin. <laughs> she's, you know, like I'm, I'm using as many individuals in my circle to do incredible things that are meaningful. Well, that is all um, good traits of an awesome founder is being resourceful. That's like the, one of the biggest things that and resiliency, you know, you have to be able to take all the resources you have access to and just squeeze the lemonade out of the lemon, you know, <laughs> like just take everything you can to make things happen with such small amount. And that's where all the creativity and fun is though. I actually think that if you, you know, you've, these companies that get money or get funded, they have bigger budgets. You just kind of throw money at problems. You know, you don't get the opportunity to be really creative and resourceful and think through things about how to, you know, really maximize opportunities. Yes. No, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, like who would have guessed that a, that a, a nut butter or a snack food brand would be working with a professor at a university. Like you don't necessarily see those, you know, that, that partnership or collaboration happening, you know, it's like, could you imagine like, like it just, it doesn't, it's never existed. And so we're able to really kind of think outside the box because these are the only people in my life that, you know, I really admire and, and want to work with. And so I, I'll always try to find a way to, to bring them into to our goals and aspirations. So. so talk to us about what Mumgree Mondays are and then let, let us know what's next for the brand. So Mumgree Mondays are, uh, it's something that we've had going on since pretty much the I would say around March of 2020. Um, so what we did was, you know, seeing people kind of go outside of their jobs and go outside of their lifestyles in order to support others in their community was something we recognized kind of at the beginning of the pandemic. And being a small business with no funding, we tried to figure out, okay, well, how do we recognize these individuals and just keep them motivated to do this incredible volunteering that they're doing on a regular basis. And we thought, wouldn't it be nice if we just popped up and gave them some mum green to enjoy? Like, you know, if, if, if it's, if it's something that we consider to be delicious and enjoyable, then someone else will probably be very happy to receive the gift. So mum green Mondays is something that we've had going on. We took it off of social media and did it pretty much just behind the scenes for quite some time now. But now we are looking to move it to the forefront, put it on our social media. Same thing as before, recognize these individuals and communities that are making an impact. So this can be, you know, coaches that are offering their time voluntarily to kids. This can be people that are volunteering at hospitals. This can be nurses at hospitals. This can be pretty much anyone in, in different industries that are changing lives for others for the better. So we are going to be driving around uh, <laughs> in a vehicle and uh, 
dropping off Mungri every Monday and just celebrating people in our community. So that's something that we have coming up pretty soon. And you also have a cookie collaboration coming up or can you talk about that collaboration and any others coming out soon? Yes. Um, So the Garden Strathcona uh, is actually one of those five retailers that supported us very early on. And um, we, you know, we did our Mumgree shop tour there. We have an amazing relationship with, with the owners there. And their location is actually in the neighborhood that I grew up in. So it's like right on the same block where I was raised pretty much as a kid. And so we love them and they have their own cookie, save your cookie, uh, that is absolutely delicious. And we've been kind of always thinking of doing a collaboration. And so finally we, we've decided that we're going to be creating a one of a kind cookie together. So that's something that we're really excited to share. That's really cool. I feel like there's lots of different collaborations you can do with this brand. Oh yeah. We did a whole ice cream tour last year. Uh, We collaborated with ice cream parlors all across Canada and we sent them Mumgri and said, make your flavor of your choice. And it was really to draw attention to ice cream parlors because no one was going outside. And we were like, wait a minute, ice cream is the one thing you should be going outside for. (laughs) It is delicious. And uh, so they had a lot of fun with it and there was lineups. There was, you know, a lot of really fun buzz. Uh, We collaborated with all independent ice cream shops. So every single province uh, had ice cream made with Mumgri. What was this deal? I mean, were you like, hey, we're going to give you this for free in exchange for advertising of our brand in your store? Like, how did you build brand awareness through the ice cream parlors? So we we sent them Mumgri first to just test and try to see what they can do with it. And then, you know, if they wanted to buy more, that was their option. But if they wanted to just make some with what we provided them with, that was their choice too. But because they were getting so much demand, they were, you know, they needed more Mumgri. And then it was, all the sales were theirs. So we didn't take a penny of their ice cream sales because it was really about supporting their small businesses. And so they um, were really successful and it, it created a really good, you know, unique opportunity for all of us to kind of celebrate nut butters mixed with ice cream. Did they name any flavors after you guys? Like the Mumbry Mumbry cup ice cream or. Yes, they did. And that was really organically. Like we didn't, we didn't tell them to do that. Like, I think one of the cool things about collaborating with people, especially when it's genuine and when you're doing it in their best interest is they will naturally show love back to you if they're good people. (laughs) They will naturally, uh, they're not just takers. (laughs) Yeah. They're not just takers. They will, they will, you know, extend the, the appreciation right back your way. So they created a lot of flavors, um, using fun names. Trying to think in Montreal, they, they had, so it's a shop called swirl, which is incredible. They made a mumgri pistachio ice cream. I'm trying to remember what name they used for it, but they sold out in one day. Like it was gone. Yeah. And so they did a flavor in Toronto. Uh, Rex is another ice cream, uh, independent ice cream maker. And he did a flavor, a PB&J flavor. That was really cool. Yeah. And then we had, oh, uh, uh, actually, this is a flavor I didn't even hear about. 
I think it's called Fluffy Netter or Fluffy. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I hadn't actually. It's like we, marshmallow. Yes. We didn't know what a Fluffy Nutter was. So when they wrote back to us, I was like, wait, are you disrespecting us? Like, what is that? You're like, my shit ain't fluffy. What are you talking about? I was like, like this Fluffy? Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. And that was an ice cream shop called. Like, it's not fluffy. It's nutty. Yeah. It's not like what's happening. <laughs> so that was actually hilarious just because we didn't know what it was um, at the time. But uh, yeah, there's a amazing ice cream shop in Calgary. Holy cow. That also does donuts. And um, that's something we hope to explore in the future as well. But they, they made a really great ice cream flavor too. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up here, cause I know it's time what final advice do you have for entrepreneurs tuning in? I know you've already shared some really insightful things, but just looking back on your journey and thinking through all the highs and lows of building a business, you know, what kind of advice do you have to business operators in there or entrepreneurs in the, the trenches? My biggest advice, which has probably been heard on your show, because I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to it, is you just want to do the bare minimum don't try to do the most in the beginning right like start with the most cheapest version of whatever it is that you're trying to do you know whether it's a piece of tape is your label the jar is a used jar from something that you had prior the uh, the nuts are not the best, the best nuts in the entire world. Like start with the worst of everything and it will only get better is what I give advice. Start small, start small, but also start cheap because it's so easy to start expensive and put yourself in a hole right away. Right. Like you get all this fancy equipment. And like, I always tell people like, you know, Michael Jordan didn't start playing basketball with Jordans on. He had Jordan's after he made it right after he established himself, he started, you know, wearing, I think at the time his favorite brand was Converse. And even that he had to save up a ton of money for, but even prior to that, I know, you know, based off the documentaries I watched, he was not wearing the most expensive shoes, right? You just have to start the game. You have to start playing any way that you can. And that's why I say, start cheap. Don't start, don't start small, start cheap and then build it up. Yeah. That's good advice. Well, thank you, Lillian, so much for being on the show and sharing your awesome story. Thanks for joining us. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.